Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome as our guest, Michael Murphy. So Mike, thank you for coming and sharing with our listeners today. Thanks, Arch. I really appreciate you having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I've been looking at your website postings for several years now. I'm glad to have finally gotten you on. So, Michael, share with our listeners, please, a little bit of your background before we get into what you would like to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually born and raised in Indiana, so I'm a Midwest guy. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always loved history, which obviously now it's kind of manifested itself into Journey with Murphy. But, you know, growing up, I've always loved history. That was usually my favorite subject in school. And, you know, whenever we went on a vacation with my parents, my dad was always sure to make sure we found some historic sites along the way, which I always loved. I don't know if my four sisters loved that as much, but, <laughs> you know, my dad and I always enjoyed it. And what's funny is I actually have a distinct memory. We actually visited Yorktown and Williamsburg, Virginia. I was probably around 13 or 14 years old. And we toured Yorktown, the battlefield, the redoubts, and absolutely loved every minute of that, as much time as, you know, the family would let us have walking around. And I do remember we went to the gift shop there, and there was a replica Brown Best musket, you know, a non-firing yeah. uh, replica musket. It felt, you know, pretty heavy, real wood, real metal. And I just fell in love with it. And I just remember my mom kind of talked to my dad at the end of the day, they're like, no, we're not going to get you this. You know, and we ended up leaving, and I'm sure I was pouty or whatever at that <laughs> age. About five minutes down the road, I'll never forget this, my dad slowed the car down, turned around, and he drove us back to the gift shop and he went in and bought me that musket. So uh, and I, I still have it to this day. That was probably, you know, 16, 17 years ago. But it's it those little memories and those, those moments that really got me connected to history and, and made me fall in love with it a little bit more. Fast forward through high school and the going into college, I went to Purdue University for my undergrad and I got my bachelor's in history. So I focused a lot on American history, colonial American history, all the way up to about the American Civil War period. So that was kind of my niche. And um, from there, I actually joined the Navy, which is what I do now. I'm uh, actively serving in the United States Navy. Very thankful. I recently got my master's degree. I wasn't able to necessarily pick what I wanted to get it in as much as I wanted to get it in history. But I found the next best thing because I am also interested in American politics, particularly the, you know, the founding of American yeah. politics and the U.S. Constitution. And um, I got my master's in international relations and diplomacy. So really from there up until this point, just had a love for history and really try to find a way to focus on that in my life. And that's how I got to journey with Murphy, my uh, current website and Facebook page that I have. So listeners, I'm going to ask Mike a couple of questions about journey with Murphy as we go on. But Mike, I'm going to back up a little bit. Where in Indiana were you raised? I was raised in Indianapolis. So right in the center of the state. Okay. I lived up in the northern part of Indianapolis for, for a year and a half. And you also mentioned you have four sisters. Do you have any other brothers? I do. Yeah, I have an older brother. So I'm actually the youngest of six. So, Mike, you're the baby of the family, correct? <laughs> yeah, and my mom won't let me forget it. And, Mike, I am very old, and I'm also the baby of the family. And till my mother passed away, she would always introduce me as, let me introduce you to my baby. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, I can relate. Now, tell us a little bit about how long you've been married, and do you have any children? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my wife, Cher, and I, uh, Cher, like the singer, uh, we actually got married in 2017, so we've been married almost five years now. We do have one young daughter, one dog as well, so a young, growing family. But yeah, it's been it's been an absolute blast. My wife has been very supportive of all of my little history journeys, whether it's a side trip when we're going to the grocery store or a long weekend trip that I planned out. She's always gone along with it and supported me, which is awesome. And Mike, I, I have to ask you this. Who named the dog? Oh, my wife picked the name out for that, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would say 99, but listeners, uh, it, Mike, if I'm correct, the dog's name is Daisy? That is correct, yes. 
Okay. Okay. We're going to move on, Mike. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, what is your plans? How long have you been in the Navy? Exactly what is your, what do you do in the Navy? And are you planning to make that a career at this point? Yeah. So I've actually been in the Navy just about nine years, actually. I'm coming up on my nine-year mark, which is kind of hard to believe. Right now, I'm actually going back to a ship. I'll be going on a ship out of San Diego to serve as the department head. So I'll be the combat systems officer. And yeah, as far as making it a career, you know, I'm almost halfway there. I think I'm committed for another couple of years. So at that point, you know, I feel like I probably will make it a career, but that's kind of a family decision. The nice thing is we have a couple of years to make, a couple of years to decide that, which is good. But, you know, I'm almost at the halfway mark now. We'll see where it takes us. Each year brings something new. And uh, I think we'll have to make that decision in a couple of years from now. Sure. And Michael, personally, and I know our listeners, we want to thank you for serving our country. Thank you. I really appreciate that. We live in a wonderfully great country. And without our military, we wouldn't have the privileges we have today to protect and defend our freedom. And for everyone in the military who has put their life on their line or is committing their life to protecting and defending our country, you, Michael, and anybody who has served in the military, you're the heroes of America. You really are. I really genuinely appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I come from a, a military family as well, so I have many relatives, both my father, my sister, my brother, and, and many other relatives that fought in just about every war that, you know, as you said, be very, very grateful for and very thankful for their service and their sacrifice they've made, as as I feel for everyone that actively serves and has served. So yeah. thank you. Well, thank you. We, we, Mike, we can't ever do enough or thank any of our veterans enough or be able to do enough for all of you for the tremendous sacrifice that you all have given to serve our country and to, and to allow me to get up every day and do what I do in absolute <laughs> freedom. So again, from the depth of my heart, I can thank you and everyone else who has served for your service to our nation. Thank you again. Thank so, you, Arch. Well, so Mike, tell us about, listeners, I'm going to say this in a couple minutes. Uh, Mike has a website called Journey with Murphy on Facebook that I would highly recommend you all join almost daily, if not daily. Mike posts pictures of somewhere that he has been to different sites in America, particularly about the American Revolution. And he puts a segment in there giving information. And I found this a couple of years ago because, Michael, I'm a historian and I predominantly do a work in the American Revolution. So your website or your Facebook posts have just fascinated me. What was your motivation to start Journey with Murphy, first of all? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, just like pretty much everyone here in America, we all have jobs. We're all busy. But, you know, like most people, yourself being a historian, you know, one of my hobbies has been visiting historic sites, learning about history and everything like that. So it was actually a couple of years ago, just almost three years ago, my wife, Cher, actually inspired me to start Journey with Murphy because we go to all these historic sites. We've been doing this for years. And I'd always make sure to take very clear, detailed pictures. I would often journal about my visits and write a lot of information down. And and one day she mentioned, she's like, you know, what are you, what are you doing with all that information, all those pictures? Like, I see you taking so much time to compile all this information. And, you know, she's like, why don't you, you know, organize that, maybe create a website, a blog and, and share that with others who might appreciate that. Um, and I was like, you know, that's, that's a good point. And again, I think it was early 2020. I sat down and she helped me. My wife's very good with uh, computers and she's also a photographer. So she kind of helped me set up my website. So I actually, while I do run the Facebook page and actively post on there, as you mentioned, I actually do have a website, which is simply journeywithmurphy.com. Uh, where I write out and publish fairly, I would like to say, fairly detailed blog articles. I actually have 99. I'm working on my 100th uh, blog article there. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun. But I definitely, as far as interacting and uh, sharing information, 
a little bit easier. Obviously, I started the Facebook page, but really it was my wife who inspired me to do it. And I couldn't be happier. It's been a great outlet for me, not just to write down what I'm thinking and my own thoughts, but also sharing historical facts, pictures, as you mentioned, and, and kind of share some of the cool places we've been enabled to visit, largely due to the military and being able to move around, but also due to my wife's patience and the ability to <laughs> hop in the car on a weekend, you know, and drive five, six hours to see a historic site that I don't know how many people would be as patient and loving as she's been through that, but it's been awesome. You're preaching to the choir. My wife is the same way. Um, <laughs> So, okay, I'm going to ask you another curiosity question. How did you sure. and Cher meet? Oh, very interesting question. Um, we actually met in a way that uh, neither uh, she or I ever would have imagined meeting our future spouse. And that was actually at a country western bar. <laughs> neither, her, neither her or I uh, frequent bars very often, certainly not in the past couple of years since having a kid, of course. Not that we would change a thing, but I had actually just gotten back from deployment back in 2014. And five days after being back from a lengthy deployment, actually, me and some buddies went out to a bar in San Diego, California, and actually met her there. Um, we got started talking. We ended up exchanging phone numbers. You know, neither of us knew if they would go any further than that. But, you know, as, as it was meant to be, we ended up talking and developed a, a somewhat long distance relationship. She lived a little bit further out from the city. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. It's been amazing. Again, we, neither of us ever would imagine meeting our future spouse at a bar, but we're really thankful for that, you know, that opportunity and that we were brought together in that way, no matter where it was. But ever since it's been, it really has been probably my best journey by far. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, my wife and I have been married 32 years and she is wow, absolutely a godsend. And unfortunately, she got the short end of the stick, but <laughs> you know, she made the wrong decision, but I'm glad she did, you know, so. Oh, come on. Well, congrats. No, no, my, That's wonderful. Most, if, if most of your pictures on Facebook, are they of the revolution sites or are they a combination of different time periods? Yeah. So I would say, I would say a majority of my pictures end up being from American Revolution, colonial American sites. That's probably largely, I've been, I've been living in Rhode Island the past couple of years. So the, just the amount of Revolutionary War history and sites is almost overwhelming. So a lot of that, you know, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, of course, a little bit from Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. But we've also got to spend a lot of time in New York, New Jersey. We took an East Coast road trip all the way down to Savannah and back, so got to see a lot of amazing sites that way. So I would say, yeah, majority of that's from the American Revolution. I certainly do love and, and try and share information about Civil War battlefields. We visited mm -hmm. quite a few, Antietam, Gettysburg, Shiloh, some of the bigger sites. I would say probably largely just based on where I've been based out of in Rhode Island. A lot of it's been American Revolution, and that is, that is probably my favorite historical time period just because it is the founding of our nation, just how improbable all of that was and how it developed you know, not just starting in 1775, but all the way back in the 1760s. Right. You, know, you, yeah. you really look at the history. It was a long development over decades, really. And I think it's just a remarkable period of time that a lot of people, most people have heard of, you know, the, the Battle of Trenton or, you know, Lexington and Concord, which are amazing sites that deserve a lot of study and a lot of merit. But there's so much more rich history about the individuals. And you look at the perspective of those individuals who fought and why they fought and all the decisions that were made along the way. I'm just fascinated by it. So yeah, most of my information and pictures focus on the American Revolution, but I, I certainly dabble in other parts of American history. Yeah, and Mike, what, people ask me, what is my favorite time period? And primarily, you know, at my age and where I am in my career, I am now focusing much, much more on the Revolution because, as you just said, our history is so broad. There's only so much that we can grasp and so much uh, to study. And particularly within the last eight, nine, ten years, the revolutionary time period has had a great renaissance uh, as far as uh, 
authors and writing about and you know shows now that we see so much so i spend now most of my time also in the american revolution even when i'm teaching so tell us a few of the places or begin to talk about any of the places michael that you would like to share with our listeners that you have found along the way that they don't have to be your favorite but you know whatever you'd like to share with our listeners about some of the places you've been and the importance of them yeah absolutely so I would say kind of in, in terms of my interests, I've kind of focused on a few categories, um, some of them more broad than others. Obviously, I like to visit battlefields and, and things of that nature. Colonial taverns is another one that I can touch on here in a little bit. And then historic cemeteries and burying grounds. Those are probably three of my kind of big focuses. But as far as specific sites go, um, my first one I'll mention, I'm a little biased being in Rhode Island, but the Battle of Rhode Island, which was actually the largest land battle in all of New England to take place during the war, in terms of scope, does not get a lot of press. A lot of people have heard of it, which is good, but a lot of people have not. And while everyone's heard of Bunker Hill, as I mentioned, Lexington and Concord, you hear of some of these battle sites within New England. The Battle of Rhode Island was really an amazing period because it was kind of the first time that the French and American military tried to operate together. And um, not to get too much into the history, but it wasn't very successful for a multitude of reasons. But the Battle of Rhode Island ended up being a pretty fascinating land battle where the American army was largely peeling away from Newport, heading north of Aquidneck Island, if you're familiar with the geography, and fought pretty valiantly. And it's a pretty incredible engagement. And if you've ever been to Aquidneck Island and Newport and the surrounding towns, there's not a lot that's preserved from it. There are some, and there's you know some organizations that are working, which is great to see in anticipation of the 250th anniversary of the revolution to preserve some of those sites. But there are a few, and I actually have an article on the Battle of Rhode Island. And I try to, to find some of those specific sites. Some of them are hidden behind like a business park. Some are right next to the highway. Some of them are in somebody's backyard now. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about American history, particularly from the revolution, is that there's, as you said, there's been kind of a resurgence in appreciating it. And I think there's a little bit of a fight and a push to start salvaging some of these battlefields and historic sites and old buildings that might be falling apart. And I think the Battle of Rhode Island is a perfect candidate for that because there are some sites that remain and we really do need to work to preserve those. And I think that's one of the best examples that I can think of in my own backyard. That is still, again, fascinating. It's a big part of the revolution and I don't want anybody to lose sight of that. And we need to preserve these areas for future generations to visit and to understand what happened there and the sacrifice that was made and, and how that played a role ultimately in the revolution. Mike, share with our listeners, please, who were the commanding officers there? Because you mentioned Rochambeau and Washington. Who was the British commanding officer at the Battle of Rhode Island? And what was the outcome for our listeners, please? Yeah, so um, on the American side, ultimately, uh, General John Sullivan was in charge. Uh, I would like to note, while he didn't participate in the battle, he was present on the lead-up. Uh, the Marquis de Lafayette was there as well. He actually joined the growing Patriot force there with some Continentals detached from Washington's main army. I believe John Lawrence was there. So you had some fairly well-known names that participated in the battle or were associated with it. What ultimately happened were the French, I, I believe it was a few thousand French troops, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, were going to be landed to work, as I mentioned, to cooperate with the Patriot forces there on Aquidneck Island. Basically, a, a, a British naval component arrived off the southern coast of Rhode Island, and instead of leaving the French troops there on land, the, the French commander at the time, they brought the troops back onto the ship. I'm sure they weren't very happy about that. And they went out to basically face the British naval component. And while they were both trying, you know, attack, trying to get the weather gauge and, and working to get the tactical advantage, they were actually slammed into by a storm. And a uh, long story short, both uh, naval forces were scattered and damaged. 
the the uh, the French uh, naval forces, along with the army, they actually detached up to Boston for repairs. So they didn't end up being able to utilize those French soldiers in the Battle of Rhode Island, unfortunately. So that's kind of what was going on in that sense. So while the uh, American forces, which was largely militia with some Continentals, were in positions around Newport to basically prepare for, and they already started kind of started a siege of Newport, the British troops there. What ultimately happened once they realized they weren't going to have that French support, um, not just the French soldiers, but also the French ships there in Newport Harbor, since they weren't going to have that support, General Sullivan and his forces, they decided to evacuate the island. So on the, I believe it was the evening of August 24th, they started to evacuate and basically just peel back troops and artillery and move north up Aquidneck Island to the northern portions to ultimately row back to the mainland of Rhode Island. And after a couple of days, on the 28th, General Sullivan ordered that front line of defense to retreat further north. And basically what happened, and as you mentioned, on the British side, it was uh, General Piggott. He realized that those Americans were abandoning their siege lines. He obviously knew what was happening with the, the lack of French support, and he immediately prepared for an offensive. So it was about 5,000 British and Hessian troops set out from their defenses in Newport, quickly pursued the Patriot forces north up the island, hoping to basically overcome the American army while they were trying to ferry across the water and to you know, find them in a vulnerable position and, and hopefully have a knockout blow there. And what ended up happening to both General Piggott and the British and Hessian troops surprise, the American troops, both the, both the militia and the Continentals that were there, made a pretty gallant stand at multiple points throughout the island to slow down that offensive and allow for a majority of the Patriot forces to, to get off the island. It was pretty amazing what they were able to do there. And as I mentioned, there's a couple of historic sites left for that. But it really is an incredible battle from the revolution that a lot of people don't talk about. And you had the Rhode Island Regiment there, which had largely free blacks, Native Americans and slaves who were promised their freedom fighting. I believe there was just over 130 or so that fought in the battle and were noted for fighting pretty valiantly and, and forwarding multiple Hessian offenses. So it was pretty incredible action. Like I said, that I don't think it's a lot of love. Yeah, and Mike, in our area, a lot of people were familiar with General Sullivan. He was the one who built the bridge across the Schuylkill River when Washington was at Valley Forge for the winter encampment. So right, yeah. a, a fascinating man. So there in Rhode Island, we had this going on. And what around other battles uh, in, in up in the New England area have you looked at, studied, went to, took pictures, I'll put on your Facebook, that you find very fascinating? Yeah, I think another one is the Battle of Groton Heights in Connecticut. This one's fascinating for a lot of reasons. One, it was really the last major military engagement fought in the Northern Theater of the War. It was in September of 1781. So a month later, you have Cornwallis surrendering and, and giving up his army in Yorktown. So it's pretty incredible to think that all the way in September of 1781, you still had a battle taking place in Connecticut, of all places, which played a major role in the revolution. I think the second thing that makes this battle and this engagement so fascinating was the British soldiers were ultimately under the command of none other than Benedict Arnold, who at that <laughs> point was wearing a, uh, he was wearing a British brigadier general's uniform. So, and, you know, Benedict Arnold was originally from Connecticut, so he's really leading an attack against his native, at that time, you know, native state, which I think is just incredible. But basically with the Battle of Groton Heights, which, again, I don't think a lot of people that aren't from New England and particularly Connecticut really study or know a lot about. Benedict Arnold ultimately was in charge of this attack, and they basically landed on either side of the Thames, or I've heard it pronounced Thames River, on the Connecticut coast. And this is around the city of New London. And they basically wanted to burn shipping, harass the maritime community, things of that nature. And on the Groton side, on the other side of the Thames River, uh, was Fort Griswold, located on Groton Heights, which to this day, the redoubts and some of the original things still exist. And I would highly recommend anyone who wants to or is in the area or it's convenient to visit Fort Griswold. It's an inc incredible example of Revolutionary War readout and earthworks. So definitely worth seeing. And uh, what basically happened, there was only about 165 Connecticut men, militia, 
and volunteers under uh, Colonel Ledyard that were commanding Fort Griswold. And though you know Benedict Arnold didn't land and lead troops at this action, he was overall in charge. I believe Colonel Iyer, Edmund Iyer, was in charge of the, the British troops at the time. But again, it's an incredible preserved fortification. The garrison ended up, I don't want to say necessarily surrendering because these men fought valiantly, but basically happened. They basically refused to surrender, uh, hoping that more militia, kind of like what happened with Lexington and Concord, hoping that more militia from the surrounding countryside would help defend them and, and you know, ward off this British attack. But there was one last demand, and basically, I think the American response was, and I pulled up the quote because I wanted to be sure, was, we will not give up the fort, let the consequences be what they may, which is uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty incredible when you know you're facing overwhelming odds. And what ultimately happened, the British used their artillery to barrage the fort. They continued their advance, and they ended up breaching the fort at different points and ultimately took the fort. The last part of this is kind of, I don't want to say controversial, but I think the exact ongoings, as many things in history, aren't necessarily known. But basically, with the fort's surrender, Colonel Ledyard of the Connecticut militia ultimately did surrender his sword, and he was allegedly killed with his own sword. And a lot of the fellow defenders were massacred. This could have been you know, mistaken order on the British side. It could have quite literally been a massacre in the sense that they were so angered that they wouldn't initially surrender that they decided to take it in their own hands. But basically, there was about 85 Americans that were killed and over 40 severely wounded, which out of 150 or so, 150, 160, that's 120 that were killed or wounded, which is pretty extreme. So, um, yeah, I would say that's another historic site. It's, It's now preserved as Fort Griswold Battlefield State Park in Connecticut, which is, again, phenomenal. They have a great monument there. 135-foot-tall monument that was dedicated in 1830. So a lot of neat history there along the Connecticut coast many don't know about. And, Mike, I believe that that is Benedict Arnold's last hurrah for the British before he decides it's time for him to go to over go to Great Britain. So, yeah. as you said, that's pretty much his home territory. So, Mike, share with our listeners, please, because we're about out of time for this segment, the website and how they could connect with you on Facebook to continue to follow you with your journey, please. Absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned, our website is just www.journeywithmurphy.com. I publish pretty detailed articles there that I occasionally share links to on the Facebook, but that's where I will publish my detailed articles and blog posts after we visit sites. I also have my Facebook page, which is Journey with Murphy. As you mentioned, I try to post every day. Sometimes multiple times a day, occasionally I have a day where I, I don't. Um, but with that, I do, on this day in history, I also publish, you know, kind of random stuff that I'm thinking about that day or if we just visited the site. Um, I also, Tuesday is kind of a big day for me because I have Tavern Tuesdays where I publish an, a, an article about a colonial tavern or something that I visited, whether it actively serves, you know, food and drink or maybe it's just a museum now. So I have Tavern Tuesdays. I also occasionally will share what I call Patriot Tombstone Tuesday where I'll share about a gravesite for a patriot, usually from the revolution, that I visited. And then probably one of my favorites on Saturdays, I publish a Signer Saturday. So one of my big goals is to visit all 56 signers of the Declaration of Gravesites. Well, 55, one of them was lost at sea. But I've currently visited 38 of those 56. So every Saturday, I try to publish, again, uh, a signer of the Declaration. I'm also kind of working on the signers of the Constitution. Wow. So I have my website, I have the Facebook, and I actually just kind of started up about a year ago my Instagram, which is also Journey with Murphy. I also try and publish some different stuff on there. If you follow me on Facebook, Instagram, you might see a few different things. And the way it's laid out, it's actually easier to kind of go through some of my subject areas. If you want to find some of those, especially if it was a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, it's easier to find and look at those. So I would love any and all support on any of those three platforms. And Again, we've been having a blast with this journey. We hope it continues for many years and we'll continue to share as much as we can with anyone who's interested. 
Well, Michael, we want to thank you for coming and sharing today with our listeners. Again, we want to thank you for your service to our nation. We also like to extend a great thank you to your wife for all the support she has given to you and your young child. So thank you for helping to share your love, your passion, and help continue to educate the American public through your different social media. So, Michael, thank you for coming and sharing with us. And listeners, we're going to continue with Mike in our next program. So, Mike, thank you. Hold on. And we're going to pick it right up where we left off. Awesome. Thank you, Arch, so much. It was great being here. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming. This is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty. 